Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. It is Steph Lee, the founder of Host Agency Reviews, and you and somehow landed on the Friday 15, which is where we answer your industry questions that you've submitted every Friday at 12 p.m. Central Time. If you have your question, you can submit it at hostagencyreviews.com slash Friday15. We love new questions, and we need a whole bunch for this coming year. So submit yours, no matter what it's about. Um, actually... Just I have to tell everyone, I did get a support question. Mary wrote me the other day in Slack, and she said, uh, what breed is Fennec, who's my dog? She's like, I seriously got this question in the support channel. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so send in anything. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. Yes. And today I have a lovely co-host on with me, Lori Spears with Lavarte Travel. Hello, Lori. Hello, Stephanie. You guys might have uh, recognized Lori's voice or, or, or her face if you're watching on YouTube, but she's been a co-host quite a bit um, the last, I don't know, quite a few months. So um, we have got a lot of great questions today. Uh, but first, before we go into it, this is the Friday before Host Week. Host Week starts the 23rd of January through the 27th. It is, I was just telling Lori, we have over 1,600 registrants right now. There mm -hmm. are 45 plus exclusive host week specials for registrants. We have 24 free educational sessions. There are 32 host interviews, seven consortia interviews. We have our luminary awards. And then we are also doing a top secret launch for a new program we've been working on at Host Agency Reviews. So you do not want to miss out. We'll put the link in the comments, but it's hostagencyreviews.com slash hostweek. Yes, very excited about it. And, and Lori, okay. do you know what day your interview is on I um, do I do I know because I've been telling all of our advisors about it not just my interview but the whole week um mine is the 24th of January at 1 37 p.m I'm very don't excited. be late <laughs> right right I'm very excited I I'm excited for the whole week I don't know how I'm going to get any work done because I want to <laughs> be plugged in the whole week I mean 30 interviews at different host agencies I love that but I'm real excited for the educational part too. Yes, there's tons. There's a huge variety of educational items and they're for new advisors and experienced advisors. So no matter what your level is, there's stuff in there. So make sure to check out the agenda at hostagencyreviews.com slash hostweek. Um, well, let's see, Lori, let's dive into our first question. So this is from Milky. Milky, okay, so there's two questions that are asked here. Let's start with the first one. Am I allowed to work for multiple host agency companies? And the answer to that is yes, a big fat yes. You yes. know, some of your hosts might say that they don't want you to work for another host agency. Legally, if you're an independent contractor, that's the definition of an independent contractor. You can work for whoever you want and you can work for more than one. Absolutely. Yes. And just to get a little more information out about that, Milky. So like Lori said, the independent contractor, being classified as an independent contractor and making sure your host is following those rules is incredibly important. And here's why. Because if they get audited by the Department of Labor or the IRS, um, there's two different entities that they can get audited by. And if either of those entities find that, oh, they're really acting more like employees and telling them what to do than independent contractors, there can be a lot of back fines um, and back taxes that they have to pay. So when you're an independent contractor, your host agency isn't paying taxes for you, which means that if they found 
that you're actually an employee, they have to pay those employee taxes backwards. And that can really put a dent in the financials of a host agency. And that's why it's important, not just that the host follow it, but that host or that agents joining a host agency ensure that their host agency is treating them like an independent contractor. Oh, um, I love that definition. Yeah. And I'm going to put some links into um, that independent contractor misclassification so you can take a look at it. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, Lori, and maybe I don't know if you have anything to speak on this, but there are you can join more than one host agency. And during our annual surveys we put out, we do ask this and it's a small percentage that belong to more than one host agencies. But there are some downfalls to it. Um, and Lori, maybe you can speak to what some of the downfalls are that you've seen if someone is aligning with more than one host, like things like they don't have the strong relationships or you're not right. seeing right. their full well, sales. A lot, a, a lot of host agencies will have their own incentive programs. That's mm -hmm. one where you could be part of their president's club. Uh, for example, at Lavarte, our top five producers go on a all expense trip for two on a river cruise for seven nights. I can't wait to come, Lori. I know. <laughs> they, they, get, they get that because of their productivity, but we have different levels in our host agency at Lavarte, and each level has something that they they are incentivized, if it's a gift card or if it's an, or a trip. So every level has a goal to reach. So if you're spreading your bookings out all over, you might be missing out on something like that. Mm -hmm. Some host agencies um, award you with a higher commission percentage when you earn your IATA card. Mm -hmm. So they have little stepping stones for you to reach and goals within that host agency that when you spread it out, you might miss out on too. And building those relationships uh, with the vendors themselves. If you're all over the place, they sometimes don't know how much you as an individual are selling. Yes. So th there's lots of uh, reasons to maybe stick with your one host agency, but just knowing what you're, you're allowed to do and making sure that you're not treated like an employee is very important. That, that link will be great for everyone. Yeah, we'll put that. We'll put the link in the comments, um, and we'll also put a link to an article we wrote about the pros and cons of belonging to more than one host agency. Because it's important you think it through, and instead of saying, "Oh, I'm gonna book this with Lori because I earn two percent more," but but I'm only gonna do this like cruise line over with Lori, thinking about the cost of doing that, having to learn a new system, having to learn the staff and the team over on Lori's, um, having those lower sales, things like that. So let's see, the second part of Milky's question is, what's the difference between a host agency and a travel agency? Host agencies are super cool, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> right, no, a host agency focuses on independent contractors. And those independent contractors use the host agency's credentials to sell travel, okay? We don't, we, we and usually, every host agency should have in place an independent contract agreement with you. And, and then you use the credentials to sell and you can use your own name for your own business then. And most of them yep. that vary. 
it, it varies, but it travel everything varies. <laughs> everything varies. A travel agency that is not necessarily storefront, but maybe isn't considered a host, usually has uh, W-2 employees. They're not independent contractors. And they um, really don't let other people sell under their credentials unless they work for them. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one of the biggest differences. Can you think of another one? Yeah. I mean, I would just add to that, that um, every host agency is a travel agency, but yes. not every travel agency is a host agency. Oh, what perfect. differentiates it is having that accreditation number. And we'll put a link in for you, Milky, to what an accreditation number is. So you can see that. And we'll also talk, um, I'll put a link into um, an article we have about independent contractor contracts with host agencies. So you can see kind of what those are like when Lori talked about that. And then I'll also link to our article on the what an accreditation number is, uh, which is what the host agency's kind of social security number is in the travel industry. And, and host agencies vary too. And that's what you're going to find out next week on host agency week when you hear from 30 different oh, yeah. but you want to make sure that you're getting a host agency that's following the rules most importantly in the laws mm-hmm. and in my opinion supporting you in your business growth so i mean i have a whole list of things i could go on but you're going to hear about it all next week and partnering with the right host agency is also very important yes exactly All right, this next question is actually a doozy because there are very few that come in where I'm like, I'm not entirely sure about this. I have to reach out and ask a bunch of people. So this one I did, but let's get to it. So it's from Kristen. Kristen says, a host said my clients have to all be based in the U.S., which seems wild for a travel agency. I have connections all over the world, which will hopefully continue to grow as my travel business grows. Why wouldn't I be able to sell to people outside the U.S.? Is this a standard for host agencies? And are there ones that cater to international clientele? So, Lori, let's start with you sharing what you do at Lavarte and why you do it. Okay. That was a big question, first of all. Very big. Uh, We focus on U.S. sales. But here, if I had an independent contractor come in like tomorrow, later and ask this question, this would be my my reply to them. Okay, they're not talking about advisors living outside the U.S. Let's clear that up. This is an advisor that lives in the U.S. that has clients outside of the U.S. Two different things. Mm -hmm. So one, I would ask that advisor, the number one thing you want to make sure if you have clients outside of the U.S., is that you can be competitively priced with the suppliers that you can offer. Because every country has their own travel partners, suppliers, vendors. And us being a U.S.-based company, we might not have relationships with those vendors. Mm -hmm. So you have these clients, let's say, in Mexico. Let's just use Mexico, our neighbor country. You have clients in Mexico And you're trying to sell them packages from the U.S. that might be priced higher than a supplier in Mexico would for Mexican travel agencies. So that's the one thing you have to consider if you can be competitive. Another thing you need to consider is some suppliers don't allow it. So it's per supplier. And some suppliers don't really come out and say we don't allow it until it's time to take a credit card payment. And then you hear they don't allow international credit cards. Mm -hmm. So there's some hurdles. There's some 
hoops you're going to have to jump through. So I would make sure you have the answers to all of those. Number one, are you going to be competitively priced? Because that's going to be the biggest. And then can you actually book here for someone out of the country? So you want, and that's, depends on each individual vendor you want to book with. So that's my answer to it. So I would tell somebody that had that, you might want to be careful building that clientele outside of the U.S. unless you know that you can really do this. Because the last thing you want to do is sell yourself to someone and then not be able to give them what they need as a client. And, you know, then your name is not golden anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. And I, I reached out to a bunch of host agencies to check on this because my experience when I worked at a host agency was it, it depended on the vendor um, and it was more on the vendor side. It could also be on the host agency side though too, but it was more about price integrity when Lori's talking about in Mexico, it might be priced lower um, than say the US market. Because I actually had someone call me when I was working at a host agency that was kind of looking to exploit this loophole that's um, in there where they wanted to, uh, the pricing was better for US citizens than it was in Australia. And they were like, I could become an agency in the United States, access these, book my Australian clients on these cruise ships and save them like 20%, which is, you know, very smart. And I think the cruise lines caught on because it's a lot of the cruise lines that don't allow that is true. They like mm -hmm. their market share to stay in the country that it's supposed to be in. Yeah. So, yeah, they caught on to that. Yeah, the pricing integrity is really important. But let me share with um, everyone what some other host agencies said. So, Kristen, it isn't, there are ones that do take international bookings, but again, it is going to depend on the vendor. And like Lori said, you might have to take some extra steps. Um, so, there's no standard across host agencies, but um, let's see, we heard from outside agents and they said it's the trade agreements with many of the vendors, especially those in the cruise sector and also the legal reach in the event of a problem, they wouldn't be able to pursue any legal action if the person was outside the United States, or at least not very easily. Uh, Travel Planners International, they sell to international clients. They say the thing that the client needs to understand is that when their credit card is processed, it's going to be done in US dollars, which is something I heard repeatedly. Um, Avoya says, yes, they can sell to international clients. Um, many of the top of vendors allow them to charge the client neither U.S. or Canadian currency. However, um, some vendors have conditions that prevent international clients from booking with an American-based host agency, uh, and that has to do with the local laws that govern the sale of travel to citizens and residents of certain countries. So I would compare that uh, to, like, the seller of travel. Um, licensing we have here in the a, United States. That's another really good thing. Um, in some countries, to sell to their their citizens of that country, you have to be licensed to sell. Canada is like that. Mm -hmm. You can, like, I have a lot of Canadians that come to me personally for travel, but I can't sell to them because I'm not a licensed seller of travel for Canada. So. Yes. I mean, we have that within the United States. A lot of people don't know. I can't sell to a California resident unless, and we are, um, seller travel for California. So it's like that in other countries as well. So checking the license is also another good thing. Yeah, which starts to get a huge headache once you start thinking about that. But we'll put a link into the seller of travel licensing article. So if anyone's not familiar with it, 
you can read up and get a little bit um, more information on that. But let me see what else we have in here. Um, yes, so like Travel Edge, who's based um, in Canada, but also works with U.S. advisors, they're, they're the same thing. They You can book international, but the clients can only pay in U.S. dollars or Canadian dollars. Um, KHM Travel Group, uh, they go by kind of the tour operator and cruise lines terms and conditions. And if they accept the passport, client's passport and immigration information and credit card, then the agents can book it. Travel Quest says it comes down to risk. Um, when you open up to the world, you open up yourself to many risks. Um, and then, yeah, they're talking about chargebacks. Um, it's better to have a, it's harder to prosecute if it's outside the United States. Uh, Uniglobe Travel Center said the supplier doesn't allow it um, because they have different agreements in different countries. Many of our suppliers allow us to book clients in North America, but not all. Uh, none allow us to book clients in any other countries unless they are departing from a U.S. destination and paying in U.S. currency. And then again, always, if it's going to be paid, it has to be in U.S. dollars. And I think that has to do with that loophole that the Australian agency was trying to exploit. Um, but and then the last one we got is from Montecito Village Travel, and they said that the suppliers have different pricing for different markets. Um, and yeah, this is the same thing with the uh, the Australian U.S. example I gave. Having that different pricing creates issues for the suppliers. Um, and then the issues for the payments, um, what, what currency do you accept it in? So there's just a lot. It's a kind of a bit of a Pandora's box once you open. So Kristen, that was a long answer, but hopefully that helps you see that there's host agencies take a broad range of approaches to it, but a lot of it has to do with the supplier side. They don't allow it. Or if they do, you have to pay in a certain amount. You have to pay in a certain currency. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a doozy, Lori. That was. It was a good one, though. And it's it not, was. I love that questions that come to you. That's one of my I, favorite I do, too. Things. That we get to talk about this is amazing. I know. It's like a stumper. I really liked it. So thank <laughs> you for submitting that, Kristen. Um, last one comes from Chris. Chris says, hi, I'm a huge fan of your content. I'm an avid follower and reader. Thank you. Uh, I recently started a golf travel media company that also helps golfers plan trips. I am an independent travel agent. I maintain a blog and social media accounts that profile golf courses. We recently became a registered LLC, and we're wondering how expensing golf experiences work. The two of us travel to golf courses and document our experience. We currently do not generate any revenue, but just paid a company um, to create our logo and branding design. We plan on eventually making money through website advertising from the golf articles, as well as through merch sales and travel planning. We are confused to as to what we can expense. Because our niche is golf media, does that mean our trips to the golf course can be expensed? Airfare, golf rounds, meals, lodging, equipment, et cetera. Um, looking forward to hearing from you. Keep up the great work, Chris. Lori, thoughts on this one? Um, golfer's dream position, <laughs> right? But um, it sounds like you're doing a lot of things besides just travel planning. And it sounds like it's covering a lot of different things. And this is my go-to, but it's really, really true. You need to consult a tax advisor. And um, there's a fine line between hobby and a business. And you need to follow those 
restrictions or requirements. So you fall within the one that can legally say that you can write this off because you're, you're, you're going to be real borderline with selling the merch and then doing some other things too, and, and website and also travel planning. So I would really get some good advice on this about the differences between business and hobby Yep. And make sure that you're in those same perimeters that's required. So you could actually write those things off. And this isn't only for golf. I think this applies to any independent contractors, travel business, any of you CEOs of your own businesses, um, what you can write off and what you can't. You need to have that conversation with your tax consultant as well about hobby and business and make sure you're falling in the right perimeter so you can write those things off. It's not just, oh, I'm in the travel business. I hear this a lot on advertisements. And this really is one of those things that makes the hair on my neck stand up. You can't just write everything off because you're in the travel business. That would be so wonderful. You really have to make sure you're following the rules and you need to know what those are. Knowing your tax laws should be the number one thing on your business plan and your business model when you decided to get in this business. You don't just get to make them up or think because somebody said. You really want to find out what those are. Um, you might learn something. I know I know we, as a host agency, have a lot of tax people come on and we do webinars and they can nice. ask some questions. Yeah. So we try to offer that service, but we don't try to provide it because I'm in the travel business, not the tax business. Very different <laughs> businesses. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll put a link into the IRS has very specific guidelines on what's a hobby versus what's an actual business. So we'll link to that in the show notes. I also want to... Um, uh, as we're like talking tax things, because I agree with Lori, everything she said. And when you do take these trips, you are going to be because you do have such a broad reach with your company on what you're looking to do. Make sure you're really documenting very carefully what exactly you're doing on those trips. That makes it so you're writing off. If you're just golfing every day, I don't know if that would be um, a write off. But let me show you on the site, too. So we have this great resource. Um now that, uh, let's see, tax expenses, I think. I, I just want to plug host agency review for their links and information. I think I do this every time I'm on, but I love it. I, I know. You know <laughs> I, I am in here all the time if I have a question. Show the search bar where you go get this stuff. To me, it's amazing. And everybody should should be living in here. So I just, I love Lori as a co-host. All she does is just. <laughs> She just makes my self-esteem skyrocket. It's so true. It's changed my life. I can't even tell you. <laughs> Yay. Well, if you go up in the search bar on the top, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. If you're listening in, go to the search bar, type in tax expenses. We go very in-depth and we just redid this um, for 2023 on the tax expenses you can and can't write off because it can be a tricky if you're, uh, let's say you go on a family vacation and two of the days you spend touring resorts. Like, how do you break that down? The whole trip is not uh, tax deductible, but a portion of it is. So we walk you through that. There's also a free tax organizer in here, which is really nice to make sure you don't, so you're gathering all the information you and your accountant will need for your write-offs. So feel free to download that. Um, but it also goes really in depth. So for those of you that are in into cruises. Um, so one of the interesting things that we discovered a couple of years ago that I hadn't heard anywhere else before, but we were going through kind of the tax 
I don't know, tax code or something. But if you're doing cruises, like if you're doing cruise conferences or seminars at sea, you can only write up, write off up to $2,000 a year in those cruise conferences. Um, and there's strict regulations too within that. So with if you're doing a cruise conference and you want to deduct $2,000, all the ports of call have to be in the United States territory or, um, you know, like Guam or something along those lines, something that's in the U.S. territories. So that's something. Um, the way you can write off cruises, which is interesting, I think they just added this this year because I didn't see it before, but um, is if you use it for transportation. So I'm not sure who uses cruise lines for transportation, but if you were using it for transportation, then you can fully write it off. But this is a very in-depth article. Um lots and lots of information. So check it out, download the free tax organizer um, and, and get your questions answered. But like Lori said, always check in with the accountant too. Oh, wow. But I love that. I think I, I'm, I have a new training right now to do because I just love that whole thing that you just showed us. Thank you so much. Yeah. I do thank you for being there for all of us because this information all in one place is, is remarkable. Oh, thanks, Larry. I just love researching. Mary loves researching. We're just, we're always like, not a lot of people have time to uh, comb through the tax code about travel expenses. And that we all feel really fortunate that we can be paid to do that to help other people. So not everybody has to do the exact same search and can be informed. Very good. I love that you're doing that for us. Because well, I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, I can be your private. Um, <laughs> investigator, you just send me over what you need to know. And if it's a good article, we will research it for you. <laughs> I will. I will do that. And that's what you're doing with these questions for all the people that are listening in. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's um, recap again. When are you going to be on for host week? So people can tune in if they want to tune in with you. Excellent. I can't wait. I'm going to be on January 24th at 1.30 I'm going to say 130, 130, 137. Yeah. I'm going to exact time today. So I'm really excited. So 137 Central Time. Is that yes. right? That's yep. Central Time, yeah. So um, it'll be all about Labarte. Yeah, so tune in to hear Lori about Lori and her team and about the programs that they have. Um, and then Lori, if anyone wants to contact you, they can first of all do it in the comments during host week. But if they wanted to send you an email or something along those lines, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Um, to reach us, if you email marketing at lavartetravel.com, marketing at lavartetravel, lavarte is e-travel spelled backwards. So you can't forget it's e-travel spelled backwards. So it's really funny when you see lavarte travel all together because it's e-travel and then travel. So uh, <laughs> marketing at lavartetravel.com. Perfect. We will also put that in the show notes. And coming up, we also have some um, host week guests. So first of all, next week is again going to be host week. So we're doing a live Friday 15 during host week. Hope you can join us. Um, and then let me see. I got to look at my calendar real quick. And then February 10th, February 3rd, we have Dream Vacations is sponsoring, but they're not co-hosting. And then the following week, which is February 10th, we have, I'm not exactly sure who, but one of the ladies from Gifted Travel Network will be co-hosting. So um, yeah, very exciting. So um, make sure to sign up for reminders. If the Friday 15 is something you enjoy, you can go to hostagencyreviews.com slash Friday 15 and there's e-reminders there. 
Well, we can send you out an email with the day's topics uh, so you can figure out if you want to jump on for the questions or not that day. Um, and with that, have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Lori, thank you so much for coming on, and we will see you on Tuesday. All right. Thank you, and see you then. Bye. Bye-bye.